Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Jay Franzi of Franzi and Friends. You guys are in for a treat today. He's an author, a speaker, and a podcast host, and he's going to be a daddy at 53 again. Jay, welcome. All right. I wanted to introduce you to my 11-year-old makeup artist, daughter, Celia. Nice. I should bring my 11-year-old down here then. When I listened to your episode on Focus, I heard you talk about that. So I was like, ooh, let me grab my 11-year-old. <laughs> nice. I there love the go. name. Sarah Bella. Bella almost rhymes with Celia. There you go. Close enough. Celia. It's nice to meet you, Celia. Nice to meet you too. And there's Bella. Come over here, Bella. Celia, who is also an 11-year-old makeup artist. She wants to meet you. Say hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. What makeup do you do? I just do like regular makeup. I do SVS makeup. It's cool. I did, a, I did one thing on my hand. Kind of it's like, it was kind of bloody, but it was just lipstick and eyeshadow. <laughs> That's cool. Do you have an Instagram account? No, I don't. What's your favorite kind of injury to make? Probably like a scratch. Do you do makeup on your friends? No, I just do it on myself. Yeah, I'm, I usually like want to do it on other people, but when I get there, I'm like, you know, it's kind of weird. Oh, check out her stuff. So cool. Wow. How did you learn all of that? I just taught myself. That's so cool. <laughs> that is amazing. Celia did my makeup tonight. Good. One time, and I haven't aired this yet, but she did my makeup like, one minute before an interview and I selected a little bit of a bright red I, color. It was really pigmented and then I put it on and it was like really bright. Yeah so I went on to the interview and apologized for looking like the devil. <laughs> it looked like I had horns coming out of my eyeballs with the healthcare executive. I think it was cool. She liked it. Do you wish you had more friends to practice on? Um, I like doing it all myself. Oh, I'm doing a play where I do the makeup for Matilda. That's cool. That's awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. Do you want to ask her dad anything about what advice he would give on starting a business around makeup? I feel like what I want to start with, with like a makeup company is just like doing it, like posting on social media, like come like schedule a time at this place. And then I can do it for like just starting at like 15 or $20 an hour, I guess. I don't know, like, a lot of people don't like cleaning their makeup brushes, but I honestly do. Amazing. You like that? Yeah, it's cool. She says she likes cleaning the makeup brushes. Maybe she you guys could do, like, a joint Instagram Live from my account or something, and you guys could do, like, a makeup collab or something. That would be cool. Thanks for hopping on and saying hi. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's so cute. 
Yeah, I heard you talking about that. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. They're both kind of shy. Yes, until they get to know somebody and then all of a sudden they won't stop. That's really cool though. Her Instagram account looks amazing. Did you teach her some of that? No, I mean, Instagram, yes. But as far as the makeup, no, she just does it on her own. I mean, she's got a picture of a a nail going through her hand and I was just, mm, freaks me out when I see it. That is so interesting. So I heard you talk about finding your niche and really aligning with your natural talents and strengths. When did that present itself with her? She was nine when she started. I don't know if we were in California at the time or not, but she was nine and started it and I told her I put together the account for her and it's the only account that she has that's public. You know, she has TikTok and a couple other things that are private, but that one's public so anybody can see it. Yeah. My daughter has like a private TikTok because I feel a little hesitant to let her do that. And she's got like a zillion drafts. <laughs> that's my daughter, her whole phone. It's all full of nothing but drafts. I mean, she releases one or two here or there, but they're, you know, her whole phone is nothing but drafts. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a new world. One that I'm not good at. Oh, I I beg to differ. Yeah, so this is so crazy. This is our first time connecting. And usually, like, I know people a little bit better before I have them on. So this is like good practice. Do you ever go do way this? Back. Way back we go. We go way back. Oh my gosh. So there are some interesting things that I learned just from listening to your show. I think that it's interesting that you have continued to educate yourself and get more certificates. Has that always been your style? Like, have you always been into learning? I guess I have. It just depends on how we look at learning because I originally went to school for engineering in 1989. I I am old. So I went to school for audio engineering and I loved it. And then as I went through the industry, I just kept trying to learn more and Every time somebody offered a certification for a piece of equipment, I would learn and get that certification just so I could market myself a little bit better and a little bit wider. And then as I pivoted and and changed careers, I already had a degree in business. My father made me get a degree in business before I was allowed to do audio engineering. I had that degree and I went into the corporate world. And as I went through, I found out I needed some more certifications. And then I ended up getting a master's degree and just kept going on and on and on. But it was originally just because I wanted to learn and learn some new tips and tricks in my field, not because I wanted a degree. It just all tied in and eventually led to that. Interesting. Yeah. Tell me about your dad now that you just brought him up. My dad is, he's no longer with us. He passed away at 47. So I feel lucky to be here at 53, but I was about 22 when he passed away. He was nice and he owned his own business and he was a a good dad, but he was tough, you know, hard to live for. He would give you anything you wanted as long as you worked for it. I was allowed to play sports as long as I worked, you know, and took care of it. And I was allowed to, you know, go out with friends or get jobs as long as, you know, I did the right things. So my dad was good. But when I wanted to go into the music business, he knew it was going to be tough. So he told me I could go in and he would support it as long as I would go ahead and get a backup. And that backup was business school. Wow. I feel like a lot of parents of that generation were like, okay, yeah, that's nice. That can be a hobby. Right. But That's it is pretty very, much what my family thought. Yeah, it is very hard to make that a full living, although you've done it. I mean, my God, look at your setup now. Yes, I like it. It's brand new. Brand new. It's beautiful. Wow. Did you, so you did this during the pandemic? Yeah, actually, it was literally just finished maybe a month or two ago. It's absolutely stunning. Is this like a dream? You know, we bought a new house when we moved back from California. 
we were out in California just temporarily, but it, our temporary was three years. So when we moved back, we bought a house and I took that opportunity to, to build a studio inside the house so I wouldn't have to travel. Amazing. I love it. Do you plan on having guests in-house? I do. It sounds to me like your engineering background might have played into this setup. Maybe a little bit. I still do. What you can't see is what's in front of me. And I have all the, the broadcast gear on one side, but all of the audio engineering gear in front of me. How have you evolved as an audio engineer? Well, I to go way back to the 1989 days. When I graduated from school, I thought I was hot shit. I thought I was going to be the guy and I got a piece of paper in my hand, a certificate that said I was certified to be an audio engineer. And when I moved back to Boston, there was only two recording studios. So I went to them both and said, I want to work here. And they both said, yes, no problem. We'll hire you as a freelance engineer. And I didn't know what freelance meant. So I was all excited. So when I went home and figured out what freelance meant, I quickly learned that that meant I had to go out and find my own work. So I did. And during the day, I worked at the one studio recording books on tape. And then at night, I would just go right across the street and work on rock bands all night long. And that's how I cut my teeth and learned what I was doing. Eventually, outgrew the city to an extent. I wanted to just try to get to do something a little bit more. So I moved to New York, built a studio there, and I was doing fairly well, probably making a halfway decent living. But my desire is to keep moving up and work and continue. So I, what I did is I ended up going to Nashville. And I spent 20, 25 years in Nashville recording country records for the artists in Nashville. Who are some of your favorite artists that you got to work with? One's like my favorite that I got to work with. There's two independent artists. One's named Maddie McCree and one is named Tristan Burke. Those were my two favorite projects, but the ones that are probably more well-known, I get to play a piece in the, in two Dave Matthews records. One of my favorites was Travis Tritt, Tracy Bird, um, Keith Urban, Phil Vassar. So I've had a chance to work with a, a lot of famous people, some nicer than others, but you know, they're just people like anybody else. So really the ones I enjoyed the most were the ones that had a little bit more flexibility. So those independent artists, we were able to do a little bit more. We were able to experiment a little bit more and that way it was made it just a little bit more fun. Are you glad that you got the business degree and the audio engineer degree? Yes. Short answer is yes. The way I feel about that is at the time, I probably would have liked to just gone straight into engineering, but I didn't realize music is a business. It's the music business. So that really helped me as I went through. So, but it really did. And it allowed me to do things that other engineers were unable to do. It could be as simple as putting an invoice together for somebody, or it could be doing the year-end accounting or running a marketing scheme and so on. So I was able to do those things, which made me a little bit more valuable. And that's where I realized that the more you know, the more valuable you are to somebody. So the more things you can do, it's not just whether or not you can push the right buttons or whether or not you can get the right sound out of a piece of equipment. It's also what you do with that information or, or how you operate it or how you get it out to the world. It's no different than the way people are using social media these days. You know, if you know how to use all the tools, it makes you a little bit more desirable to somebody than if you don't. Have you learned how to use all the social media tools? I am very fluent on everything except for TikTok. TikTok, I get on there and I watch a lot of videos, but I have yet to produce a video for TikTok. Why is that? My daughter hasn't helped me yet. No, um, my plan to to start in TikTok was a couple of years ago when I was working at this company in California. We had a very beautiful setup. We had a brand new office and I planned on doing some kind of talking head style videos out of that office. And then COVID hit. So when COVID hit, we were out of the office and 
there was really no point of going to the office. So I didn't feel like the background of my house was the place to do it. Nowadays, it'd be just fine. But at that time, I didn't feel like the background of my house was the place to do videos. So I feel like I kind of missed the bus a little bit when it came to TikTok, but I do enjoy it. I do like getting on there. I do like going through the videos. I'm sure my For You page is probably a little bit different than my kids' For You page, but still like it. Have you thought about doing any like daddy-daughter dances? Because those are trendy. I have not. Although, what's his face? Um, I forget which country artist it is that does it with his daughter all the time. I, I enjoy watching him. Or maybe she could do your makeup. She could. Yeah, she can, she can do my makeup while I tell business tips and tricks that work out perfect. All right. You know, since you just brought up business tips and tricks, I know one thing that you help people with is finding their niche. Can you give me some business tips around that? I can, as long as you allow me to pronounce it niche. I, ref I refuse to say niche. I once I, had I a leader that way. said it the other way, and then I felt compelled to switch, but yes. Yes. I know that niche is the proper way of saying it, but I like niche. I think it's very important to have a niche. And when we talk about a niche, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what, what path you're taking, having a niche is important. And the reason being is if you can't establish what problem you solve and who you solve it for in a one sentence line, then you're probably not hitting your target market. Because if you say, well, you know, I can do that. Yeah. And I can do this over here. I, I can design websites. I can do your LinkedIn page. I can put resumes together. I can help you on your Facebook page. I can help you with, with this. And all of a sudden, you just keep growing and you think you're doing a good job because you're opening yourself up to more people. But you're actually hurting yourself because less people know what you do and less people think you're talking to them. The whole idea of having a niche is so you can have one person across your table that you're talking to. Very similar to you doing your podcast is you talk to that one person. So it's Although there's two of us on this camera talking, we're envisioning one other person sitting beside us. And that one other person is who we're talking to right now. So we're not yelling to a crowd of people. We're talking to that one other person who's sitting here in the room with us. And we have to make sure that we're providing the information that that one other person wants. So if we don't tell that person ahead of time, they're not going to know. So we have to tell people what we do. We have to give them the reason to stick around and learn just what, what we're capable of. Otherwise, we don't get the business. Tell me how you narrowed down your focus and some of the things that you tried prior that weren't necessarily it. Sure. I can start back in the entertainment industry. I, I graduated as an engineer. I was also a music producer and I felt it was very important on my business cards, on my website at the time. I was one of the first people in the industry to ever have a website. I made sure that it always said producer engineer and, you know, I could mix, edit, do all these things. And that was great. I had all those abilities and skills to be able to do something for somebody. But what it did that I didn't realize at the time was it, I didn't get as much work because of it. Where if I just said I was an engineer, then people would know exactly what to hire me for. Other producers would say, you know what, I need an engineer. Jay's on my list. Let me call him. Where if I said producer engineer, then they're going to look at me and say, well, Jay's a producer and an engineer. He's probably not going to want to come work on this, you know, and then I get passed up on that. So if you have one vision or one thing that you're marketing yourself as, in my case, an engineer, you're going to get the work to be an engineer. Now I could take that a step further because in the, in the entertainment business and the music business, 
there's multiple types of engineers. You can have a recording engineer, you can have a mix engineer, you can have an editing engineer, you can have a one that works on movies or one that works on television. So there's multiple times you can have a mastering engineer, somebody who finishes the records. So if you can take that field and really narrow that niche down even further. So if I said I'm a mix engineer, I might be able to record you or I might be able to edit your projects, but I'm really specifying in mixing your project. That's my my strength. And then even though I've narrowed it really down to just one thing, now people know what to hire me for and there's more of a chance that I'm actually going to get hired because people know that I do that one thing. Oh my God, now I have so many questions, but can you define what a producer does and what an engineer does? Absolutely. In my world, and I say that because when people think of a producer in the world of hip hop is different than in most other genres. Most other genres, whether it be country, rock, pop, Christian music, any other genre, that especially the ones that are using traditional instrumentation, a producer is the one who orchestrates the whole thing. They're the ones that hire the musicians. They're the ones that select the studio. They're the ones that help the artists be a little bit more creative. Some, some producers are creative, some are just organizing. But they're the, I hate to use the word boss, but they're the ones in charge of organizing the entire project, whether it be creatively as well as the business side. They're the ones dealing with the record labels and putting the budgets together and establishing how much money they can spend on this artist, what studios we should use, what musicians we should hire. You know, on this song is a little bit more, it's country, but it's a little bit more poppy, so maybe we hire this drummer instead of that drummer. And they're the ones that make the creative decisions where an engineer is the one that sits back and listens to what the producer and the musicians are asking for, what they want to sound like. And they're the ones that help you reach that sound by manipulating the equipment in front of you. And like this microphone, we choose the right microphone for the right job. We have equipment. We might decide that a certain preamp that amplifies our microphone is better than another might be good for this purpose, but not that purpose. So the engineer is more interpreting the colors that the artist and the producer want to hear. So if somebody says, I want it to be a little bit more red, you know, I never heard those terms till I moved to Nashville, but I want things to be a little bit more red. Okay, so maybe we'll use this piece of equipment over here. Does that sound red to you? So, and we just work through it. Have you upgraded your equipment? When I worked in Nashville, I really had a setup, a real solid setup, and I sold it all because we were moving. We moved to Kentucky, then to California, and now back to upper Kentucky in the Cincinnati area. I, so I got rid of all the equipment before we did our traveling. And then when we got back here and settled, I bought it all back again. Now I have different pieces of equipment, or I may have made some different selections, but I do have all the equipment set up. And I wish I had the other camera set up so you can see what I have here in front of me. Yes, Do you have your recommendations question, have the... for like people that are just starting out? Sure. I mean, for podcasting or for musicians or? Yeah, for podcasting. Well, yes, absolutely. Most people think of a microphone as being your most important thing. And I guess in actuality, it's definitely a piece you need to have, right? So for example, you're using earbuds. They're probably the Apple earbuds or what came with your phone. And you're using Zoom here to be your platform of choice. And you hit the record button so that we are recording this session. And you're recording both audio and video. That is a very, very good, popular way to record because everybody has those tools. Now there's other things like there's this microphone in here, here in front of me, and this is a Shure SM7B, which is a 
extremely popular microphone for the podcasting world. It's also popular in the audio world. Michael Jackson used it to record the album Thriller. So it's definitely a popular microphone even before it was showed on Joe Rogan or other shows like that. It's a popular microphone for the human voice. It sounds, it's a very good sounding microphone for that. Now it's more expensive. There are less expensive microphones. This one's about $450, $500, which is not bad for a microphone, but for podcasters, that seems on the high side. There's other microphones, like Rode makes a, a Rode Pod mic, and that's about just under $100. It's like $99, but that's an extremely good microphone. And when I recommend people who are starting out, that's the microphone I typically lean towards because it's a high-quality microphone. It's big. I mean, it's small, but it's heavy. It's thick. It's it feels substantial. Where there's other microphones, like Samsung makes a microphone that's like $69, and it's great. It records, it sounds good, but it feels light and flimsy. It doesn't feel like you're truly deserving of recording your podcast. So I think those type of microphones are good. But then you need like equipment, like the cable here. This one is an XLR cable, which just means it has three prongs that connect to a device before it goes to your computer, where the Samsung microphone connects through USB. Although it does have an XLR cable, you can go through USB so you don't need to have any other equipment. So depending on what kind of budget you might have would depend on where you spend your, your money. So to my left, I have a device here called a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2. Very basic interface. So if I wanted to, I could take this microphone, plug it into that device, and then that device is a preamp and it turns it into a USB cable to go into the computer so I wouldn't need anything else. So the microphone and the device would be enough. However, on my right side, is a device called the Rodecaster Pro, which is the standard piece of equipment for people who are truly getting into podcasting and want to take it serious. It's an actual mixing board. It has eight channels to it, four microphone channels. It has a computer, a USB connector to it. It has a telephone TRSS type connection. It's just the it looks like the smaller end of a headphone jack. And then it has a Bluetooth connection. So you can connect your, you know, if you have an iPhone, you can connect it through Bluetooth and take phone calls on your podcast. And then it has another fader, which control the level of, there's eight, eight trigger pads where you can trigger sound effects or, you know, jingles. That's one of the jingles that we use on our show. So we can trigger those at any time. And we can go, I mean, if somebody says something, you know, you don't think it's funny. So we can trigger those sound effects and we can work. And it also has headphones, so you can put four sets of headphones into it. And you can have a podcast of a group of people just sitting around this one device. Or you can use it as a USB interface to do calls like we're doing today. So like if I use the word niche. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we get all the sound effects. I don't know what else I have in here. I got one that makes my co-host happy. Go blue. She's an Ohio fan, so I have to Go blue. That's Michigan's Go blue. My husband is making a sound effect right now. I just heard the fire alarm, so he must be cooking. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. I did not hear it, but that would, that's definitely what would happen if I was cooking. I would love to know since you just brought up your podcast, talk to me about the evolution of putting a show together. The whole thing started um, when I first moved to Kentucky. So this was several years ago. I moved to Kentucky and I was working for this company. It was a security firm, one of the largest in the country. And I had a team of people who worked under me and they would come to me, ask me for advice on how they can get promoted, what they can do to get to the next step. So I would just talk to them, help them. 
and it got to a point where I couldn't do this during the day. So what I did is I said, okay, every Wednesday night, you can come to the office, we'll set up in the conference room, and I'll answer your questions, and we'll teach some lesson every night. So every Wednesday, I would teach some lesson, and then I would bring in a guest to teach another lesson, and I would answer whatever questions they had. And that seemed to go over well. So when I moved to California, and I was lucky enough to work for the world's largest security firm, which for me meant my clients were much larger. So I had clients like Facebook and Google and Microsoft and all the tech companies out in Northern California. So I did the same thing. I started that Wednesday night thing for that company. And it was going well in clients start to get wind of it. So they wanted to come in. So I had some clients coming in, then some people from the public wanted to come in. So we were doing all this in my new office that I was talking to you about. And we had this large training room, so it worked out great. And I would bring in helpers and people to speak or maybe do seminar on LinkedIn or do a seminar on writing resumes or how to talk to clients. I'd bring clients in and say, what are you expecting from my team? And let's talk about it so we can build the right team. And it was going over very well, but as you know, COVID hit. So when COVID hit, the team didn't want to lose that momentum. So we just started recording it and doing it online like we're doing now through Zoom. And everybody enjoyed it. So we started recording it for those who couldn't make it because in security, it's a 24-hour business. No matter what time we did the session, there was somebody who was unable to make it. So we recorded it and they could watch it afterwards. Then somebody suggested turning it into a podcast. And we had a producer out of Las Vegas want to turn it into a, a video show. So we did that. And then we ended up doing that through Zoom and then through some other forms of broadcast software. So we did all that and it was going very well and that evolved. And then we ended up bringing in a co-host. So now I work with Mindy Joe, Mindy Joe Regal. And so the two of us talk to people, we interview people, we answer questions and we put our shows together. Then we also, we take that whole purpose of the show on our side is we let people know that we speak to young professionals and we end up going into businesses or colleges and we talk to the students or young entry-level managers. That's so cool. And I heard you, I think, say on an interview that you didn't really ever have mentorship. And so you wanted to kind of give back in that way. Yeah. You know, I... I was never formally mentored. I went through the business, music business. It took me forever to to work my way up. Like I said, when I started in Boston, I was recording books on tape, which is not glamorous. It's not something you, you're winning a Grammy for this book you recorded. So I had to learn, but I had to learn how to use the equipment and what buttons to press and how to talk to the people. And so I did that. And then I started bringing in rock bands and I learned the equipment and things for that. And everything just kept getting to another step. And then when I moved to New York and I, I had a studio built, a small studio, but my own studio, and it was built from the ground up. We were able to bring in musicians and record people and we were able to do their graphic arts and we were able to do photography and we were doing all of these things for these people. And again, you just keep learning. So then I thought, okay, good, I'm ready to conquer the world. So when I moved to Nashville, I found out again, I'm the low man on the totem pole because everybody there already knows everything that I know. So I had to work my way up again. And I ended up going to Nashville with the hope of teaching at the college and working for this producer. And I was lucky enough that that producer came in as a guest speaker one day at the college after I started working there. And he offered me a job working for him. So I ended up working for three producers in Nashville, this gentleman being one of them. It took that long before I got into the world. So that was that producer that I did, worked on the Travis Tritt records and the Tracy Bird and those records 
records. It was at that point where I got credibility and I realized, okay, so now if I'm pivoting and going into the security industry and I'm trying to work my way up in that industry, I took that 25 years of experience in the entertainment industry and I was able to put a roadmap together for myself that made me excel much quicker. So I went from the the bottom floor to the senior leadership in a five-year period and I worked in the industry for 10 years total. It was definitely an accelerated path once I knew what to do. So I felt, okay, now I know what to do. Now let me help other people do the same thing. So that's where my passion seems to lie is by helping other people realize that they could do this too. They just need to know what path to take. Tell me about writing a book on leadership. Okay, I'm too deep. So there's two books at this point. One that I did on my own and one that I did with Miss Mindy. The first one that I did on my own was nothing but a series of blog articles that I had put together. I wrote 52 articles, and I did it one of the, again, we talk about mentorship. So I had this guy working for me. His name was Jason, real young kid, but really talented. He's very, very talented, but very young kid. And I was telling him that, okay, each year we have to do something to try to make ourselves more desirable and better than we were last year. And I asked him what he was going to do, and he didn't know. So he asked me what I would do. And I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and write an article a day for 50 days, and I'm going to turn that into a book. So he said, okay. And so he chose, you know, his path and I chose mine. And then the other one was with Miss Mindy. And with Miss Mindy, we had a game plan. I mean, we knew exactly what we were going to do. We wrote a book called The Ideas of Leadership. And we took just these topics, these five topics we wanted to talk about and dive deeper. And and we dug deep for stories that we were going to tell within those books. And we we truly took a, a more, prof- this is my fourth book, and this is the first one that truly had a plan. The other ones were just ideas in my head that I brain dumped onto a laptop. This one was planned out. We knew what we were going to do. We each took our path, and then we would join them together, and we wrote a book. Do you think anybody can break into the music industry? I think that it requires a certain level of talent, no matter what position you choose to hold. But then after that, it's luck and who you know. So everybody says, you know, it's luck or who you know. And that's, it is true to an extent, but you do have to have some sort of talent. I know I never got a chance to work with Taylor Swift, but I know all my friends did at the time. And nobody gave Taylor Swift any respect whatsoever. And I will tell you, everything I know about the girl is she's super talented and she just was driven. And it was that drive that got her to where she is. It wasn't luck for her. People say it was luck or it was her dad that got her there. But no, I think she just put in the the hard work it took to be successful. Now, there's other people, there's other artists that are amazing that you hear on the radio every day that probably don't deserve to be there. And then there's artists that you never hear that probably deserve to be on the radio. But for one reason or another, they're not. And we take that back and tie it into your TikTok that we were talking about earlier. There's several accounts I follow of these young kids that are absolutely more talented singing on TikTok than most artists are in the recording studio. So, I mean, when they hold their little earbuds up and they sing into their earbuds and they're just absolutely amazing and I can't get an artist in the recording studio with all the professional gear to sound that good. So, yes, I think there's talent everywhere. It's just whether or not those people make the right connections to be successful. And how do you make those connections? That's the hard part, right? You can't just drive to Nashville or New York or LA or Atlanta in these days and you can't just drive to these studios and walk in and say, here I am. Today, it's all about 
TikTok and whatever platform is hot at the moment. And for right now, it's TikTok, so let's just talk about TikTok. So when these artists get on TikTok and they just become super successful, one video could just blow up. And that one video, when it blows up, that artist may hear it. And next thing you know, they're duetting with that artist. Their account booms and all of a sudden they get a million plus followers. And once you start getting that kind of attention, it's that attention that the record labels care about. It's not how good you can sing. It's not how good you look. Those things matter. But what really matters is how much money can you generate. So if you come with a built-in audience, that's what that's what people want. So if you if you can tell me I can make a record on you and you've already got 10 million fans, it's a lot easier than me creating an album for you and saying, okay, let's go find 10 million fans. A lot easier. So when you can just literally one day say to your TikTok audience, hey, look, I just put this project together. I want you to check it out. Next thing you know, there's millions of downloads on Spotify. All of a sudden you're doing every record label's dream right there. I mean, look at Paris Hilton. Yeah, you can say what you want about Paris too. People don't typically like her. However, she knows how to market herself and she definitely, whether she's doing it or she has somebody behind her doing it, whatever the case may be, she definitely markets herself. She's got endorsement deals, her perfume lines and things like that. That girl is making money hand over fist. People love her. You know, the industry loves her, whether or not the fans or whoever. I'm sure she's got a fan base. I just don't follow her enough to know. Do you ever do any performing that you don't air? Do you have any drafts that you haven't published? I wrote a book once that I never released. I used to play in bands a lot back when I was in Boston. And matter of fact, when I was in Nashville working on country records, I was working with an artist that I used to travel with and and work as a musician in the background and things like that. Uh, I worked with a producer in Nashville that I was able to do some stuff for them that nobody would know I was on it unless they followed me instead of the artists. Um, And in that industry, that does happen. People follow the producers and engineers to an extent, the people within the industry. They want to know what you're working on. They want to know how good you are at your craft before they hire you. But no, other than that, it's not like I'm out doing something, you know, dancing on Broadway or something like that. Is there anything that you still want to learn or like what lights you up the most about what you do? Yes, there's always something I want to learn. I mean, every day there's something new. I listen to a thousand podcasts. I, you know, I've written four books. I've never read a book, but I listen to, I've got an Audible account now and I've listened to hundreds and I'm so glad I did it that way because for me, knowing that man, I could have got so much further in life if I knew about Audible or if I had that ability sooner. So I didn't know that because when I grew up, I had a very hard time reading. And I don't know if you noticed, but we had the world's fastest reader on our show, the Guinness Book World of Records. He's the world's fastest reader. I'm the world's slowest reader. I can read, but I have a very hard time. I just, it takes me forever to read something and to try to comprehend it and to try to go back and read it again. But listening to something, I can listen to a book on tape and I get it like instantly. So I, I listen to them on double speed. I mean, I'm blowing through books and I just love doing that. Or podcasts, I listen to so many podcasts and just trying to find people that teach me little nuggets here or there, constantly trying to learn other stuff. And what lights me up, what lights me up is doing things like this. I love being on people's shows. I love doing my own show. I want to do more radio shows and things like that. I did a radio tour a while back when I was working in the music industry. I love doing things like that. I just love helping people. And I love doing these type of things, talking to people and putting shows together. To me, in the music industry, I was always behind the scenes trying to help other people become successful. And it was a group sport. You're working especially like if you're a recording artist, like a Taylor Swift or somebody like that, you're nothing unless you have that band of musicians behind you. 
and then you're nothing unless you have that production team making those records and then you're nothing without the radios promoting it and you're nothing without the record labels putting their investment into you so it's a huge team that nobody gets to see you see taylor swift and you think oh you're amazing and how quickly it was overnight and all these things but it's a team of people a large team of people for me you you talked about my room earlier and stuff and this equipment I can sit here 100% by myself, turn on the gear, press record, and I can put on a show and talk to people, and I can bring people in through Zoom or whatever platform we're using. To me, that's exciting. Utilizing this gear on a solo basis and putting it to use for good. So that's what I enjoy. That's what lights me up. I love that. It lights me up too. What would you say makes a good show? Like what goes into that? Okay, let's start with the what makes a good show. To me, a good show is something that's either entertaining or educational, something that there's a purpose behind. I know when people think about podcasting, especially when it first started, it's just people having real, honest conversations. And, you know, I'm a fly on the wall listening to somebody else's conversation. Okay, that's great. But those conversations get real boring real fast. And I mean, would you walk into a coffee house and just sit there and drink your coffee and listen to everybody else talk? No, you'd go nuts. So to me, there has to be a purpose. And that's something that I constantly struggle with evolving my own show is to have a purpose. So you mentioned earlier that you heard an episode of of mine. That was what we call a recap episode. So we did an interview last Wednesday and we interviewed the world's fastest reader. And then we followed that up with a recap episode where Mindy and I get together and after interviewing that person for an hour and talking to them and getting spotlight on guest, just getting everything we can out of the guest. And then the follow-up episode is we take a lesson that we got out of that interview and we highlight it. So for us this week, it was finding your focus. And we did a show on finding your focus. We did our three points of three things we consider to be important when finding your focus. And we just talked about it and brought the lesson out. So it was more than just listening to an interview. It was also providing a lesson. So tonight we have a another show we'll put together it's the interview night so we'll interview a guest for about an hour and then when that's over we'll release that as an interview an hour-long interview and then our next episode will be released next wednesday and that will be the follow-up to that where it's the follow-up where we pull a lesson out of that interview I love that format. And actually my dad kind of does that at the end of each one of my episodes. So which is awesome, can, by the way. Thank you. So you can either ask him a question or my dad will just reflect on the lessons that he found in each guest episode. But Very I think cool. I like how you turn it into a separate episode. I was actually thinking like me and my dad should just maybe do some solo episodes. I have a reflection. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. One guest interviewed me on her show. I'm getting ready to have her back on. I love doing podcast swaps with people. It's so much fun to, to switch sides of the mic. And after each episode that she has somebody on, she does an Instagram live about the lessons that were learned in the conversation. And I think that's kind of cool, like mixing the mediums. What are your thoughts on that? I absolutely think whatever we can do to get the message out, because what I find is when we interview somebody, for example, Howard was the world's fastest reader, Howard Berg, nobody's going to know him by name. But what ends up happening is when we do the interview and we broadcast to all of our social media, so we broadcast out to several channels, it could be YouTube, it could be Facebook, there's several Facebook accounts, there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, we broadcast everything, even Twitch. So we broadcast all of these mediums or all these platforms, but it goes out as Howard Berg. 
people may not know who Howard Berg is. So unless you know our show and know what we're doing, then people aren't going to tune in. But what we've started to do is now tell people, look, this is the secrets of the world's fastest reader, who happens to be Howard Berg. So now at least you know who that person is and what, what you might get if you tune into that show. So secrets of learning, secrets, secrets of reading and how to comprehend and memorize things a little bit better than you could otherwise. And I was very hesitant on doing that episode because I didn't know what we could talk about for an hour. How are we going to talk to somebody who reads for an hour? It's not like we can hand him a book and say, you know, entertain us. But he was amazing. He did a great job. He was very engaging. And he, he even put Mindy and I through a test, which was really fun. We did a memorization test. He read off 10 things and told us to repeat them, and we couldn't. But then he taught us how to do it, and we did it instantly. So, I mean, they were actionable tips that you could do right away. But like I said, if you don't know who he is, you're not going to get, you're not even going to listen to the episode or watch it on the social medias. So to me, that's important to tell people and make sure they understand what they're going to get. If you tune in tonight, you're going to learn tips on how you can read faster, how you can comprehend more, and how you can memorize things better with the world's fastest reader, who happens to be Howard Berg. So now there's some sort of description, something that's going to get you to tune in tonight. It's very niche down. Yes, we try. I would like to know also, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. What lessons did you learn from working with your dad? Biggest one that sticks to me more than anything else. I learned a lot from my dad. I mean, I, I worked in the trenches. He, he owned a contracting company in Boston. He built a lot of the big high rises you see in Boston. Won some rewards. I mean, so it wasn't like a small contracting company. It was pretty big. And I was, you know, running jackhammers on the streets of Boston Boston, and just being thrown all around because it was a tiny thing at the time. And, you know, so I, I learned that. I finally worked my way into the office and there's stories behind all of those things that are probably have some sort of lesson in them. But the biggest lesson I, I learned is I was walking with my dad onto a job site. Somebody said hello or something. And I just kind of went like that, just a little lift of my hand. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, they said hello to you. And I was like, well, like, yeah, you said hello. And he said, no, you didn't. You just moved your hand. They couldn't even see your hand because, you know, you didn't lift it up high enough or whatever it was. I said, well, it doesn't matter. It was just the janitor anyway. And when I said that, I thought, holy hell was going to break loose. He came down on me like nobody's business telling me there is no such thing as just a janitor or just anything else. And from that point on, I took those words to heart and I listened to them and I looked at everybody in every position everywhere I went and wondered how did they get there? Why are they there? What are they doing now? I've taken that with me through my entire journey up to this point. And every time, like I'll walk into a, I, I was telling this story on the show a few, a few weeks back. I had five offices in California that I was responsible for. And I walked into one of the offices, it was a very large office. And I walked in and all of a sudden the receptionist just sits up. And as I walked through the office, everybody just shuts up. And I had to stop in the middle of the office and say, mm -mm, you know, at ease, go back to whatever you're doing and laughing and joking and whatever. I am not that guy and I don't want to be that guy. As long as we're getting our work done, I don't care about anything else. So to me, the biggest lesson that I learned from my dad is there is no position that is better than another position. Every position has a purpose, and it is that purpose that we look at, not the, the title or the position or the person. Title and a position does not equate to somebody's worth. So even when I was working in security industry, I always would tell people, you may be an officer, or you may be a supervisor, you may be the recruiter, you might be in HR. Not one of these positions is more important than the other. 
They just all serve a different purpose. So it's your job to hire people. It's your job to protect people. It's, you know, your job to do the accounting, whatever position it is. And it was my job to just manage these teams. So it wasn't, my position wasn't better than anybody else's. My position was just different than everybody else's. I think my dad will definitely uh, connect to that. He worked alongside his dad for his entire career. They uh, worked together for 40 plus years. And my dad was definitely in the trenches too. So I know that he will appreciate that story. Well, there you go. That's a question for your dad is I didn't get to finish my journey with my dad. He passed away when I was 22 and he didn't even get to see me finish business school. He's the one who encouraged it and he passed away before I was able to finish. So I did, I continued on and I finished, but I didn't get to finish the journey of life with my dad and working with my dad. So maybe your dad can share what it was like to finish that journey. Oh, that's a really nice question. I'll tell you, my grandfather until the very end, he always wanted to make another deal with my dad. Even when he could, like, he he got dementia in the end, even when he could barely talk. If my dad brought up business, I, click. <laughs> it's so crazy, but I feel like that kept him going. Just the possibility of maybe having another win together. Right. Yep. Absolutely. My grandparents were the same way. I only knew three of my grandparents. My dad's father, he passed away when my dad was young. The three lived to be fairly um, old in their 80s, and my grandmother was in her 90s. But they were there. They struggled at the end with dementia and Alzheimer's and all that, and it was tough to watch that happen. But there were those moments of that they come through and shine a little bit, and you're able to continue a little bit of that conversation. Have you figured out what the meaning of life is and like what legacy is to you? Legacies to me, I don't know if I think of these things as the meaning of life or I don't put this deep physical philosophy thought into this stuff. But to me, what's important is what people remember of you. So we had somebody pass away in our family just last week, our, my wife's grandfather. So my children, their great grandfather. And it was sad. I mean, he he lived to be 95 years old and he was spry right up until the, the day he left us. And he was working a farm. I mean, he was, this man was definitely a role model. To me, even myself, I, I did not know him as long as my wife or others in the family because I married into the family. But he made an impression on me in that time that he was with us. And I'll never forget him. I think that's what helps people live on. So I try to explain to my kids when they say, what happens when you die? It's you live on. You live on in other people's dreams and other people's memories. And that's how you you live on and make a difference, to do something powerful enough to live on in other people's memory. I don't know if you can see it. This was on the side of the casket at his funeral. There was five of these because he was in the army. And I asked if I could have one. So they said yes. They allowed me to pick which one. This is the one I chose. And on the back, it talks about one of his positions and stuff. To me, that's how, you know, I'll remember him and keep that as a display item here in my office. Which I'm so sorry for your loss. Can you describe what item you just held up for the people that don't see the video? Absolutely. This is a hat that I'm assuming he wore in the Army. And it's decorated with pins, and it, it, it's the uh, VFW hat as well. It's got life member. It's got all the pins from the different decorations, including this one pin here that I don't know if people can see that are viewing, but there is a pin there that is a bomb with a smile on it. But that's the pin they gave me great graveside. They came up, and they did a presentation and a salutes and the whole whole nine yards of the team there. I don't quite know what they call it, but they did this entire presentation. And after it was over, they came over to the family and they were nice enough to give me that pin. 
and that pin just went on the hat with the rest of them and I will continue to keep that here on display to remind me not only what a man he was, but what type of a man I should be. Wow. I absolutely love that. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. No, thank you. I'm happy to be able to show it off. Yeah. My dad is definitely going to relate to the, to the living on for the people before us. He, I feel like understands that even more than I do. He, he loves to bring that up and I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. He's like, well, one day you will. (laughs) Yeah, you will. I mean, he, he has a daughter. He, you know, he has to do what he can. I have two daughters and one on the way. And to me, I'm 53 and I have one on the way. Yes, I know. And it was planned. So that's even worse. So my wife has been trying for two years and finally happened. And here I am 53. Thank you. It is those daughters. And I never wanted to have kids. I never, I didn't want kids. Now that I have them, I wouldn't change it for the world. But now that I have them, I realize what kind of responsibility it is to have them. And just, you know, you think about things differently and you want to help them and you want to protect them, but you also want to create something that they can remember you by. You know, I remember my parents, but I don't, I, my parents are both gone and I do remember them and I do have pictures, but I don't have a lot of those moments that you just hold on to and say, oh, I remember that moment. To me, it's a bunch of little moments here and there, but no one big moment. So I'm trying to create those big moments for my kids. Are there some big moments that stick out in your mind? Well, yeah, I talked to one this morning. That was a big moment. I, I let her hear my voice and, you know, realize she has a great dad. No. Yes, I took a walk with my, my daughter before this show. Um, she was outside pacing. She's only allowed to walk two houses down and two houses down in the other direction. That's what my wife's rules. If she can't see her, she's walking too far. So I'm watching her walk back and forth and she's doing her little TikTok videos and dances while she's walking. She, to me, she looked like she needed company. So I thought that was great. She's outside and she's walking. I'll go walk with her. So I did. I went outside and we walked around the block and it was a, a large block. So we've got to spend some time. But to me, the key there is I got to hold her hand in my hand. She's got the tiniest little hand. And just to me, that's what's great. That's what I'm going to remember. And I'm hoping one day that's what she'll remember. Moments like that. That is truly the most special time. Oh my gosh. My dad, by the way, is a dad of three girls. There you go. That's tough. That's what we need to talk to your dad about. Get me some some advice. What do I do? How do I get this? My 11-year-old, you met my 11-year-old. She's fantastic. I love her to death, but she's now reached an age where she's in middle school. And no, her, she, she's not around as much. You know, she's in her own world now. She's developing her own life and her own life doesn't really include daddy too often. So yes, I'm going to need some help. Don't worry. She will be calling. I'm 42 and still calling my dad pretty much every day, but there was definitely a period where I shut him out. Right. No, I don't like that period. Oh my I'm gonna God. Lock, lock her in the house. You just tell me what age she's allowed to go out till then she's trapped. Yeah. Wh- I was, I was actually thinking that like a daddy that works in security, how's her dating life going to work? <laughs> She she laughs because, I mean, I don't know what kind of audience you have, and I'm sorry, but I have a house full of guns, and she they, they laugh and they make comments, but I'm like, yeah, I'll be making sure that we're cleaning these when the when the first date comes to the door. But no, I, I encourage my kids to go out and live their life, and I know that dating is going to happen at some point, and I always say that having girls is God's way of punishing me. So God is punishing me for how I treated girls and how I dated and stuff. So now it's just coming back. I'm lucky. I just, I, I always liked having one steady girlfriend. I'm hoping my kids just find one person, but yes, God, God's punishing me right now. Oh my God. I absolutely love that. Okay. 
let people know how they can connect with you and buy your books and support you. Yes. Thank you for joining our show. Really, I've got nothing that I really want to push. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to talk to me, if you want to ask questions, I would love to talk to you, help you, and just you know start a new friendship. You can reach out to me at jfranzi.com. That's J-A-Y-F-R-A-N-Z-E.com. Love that. This has been such a pleasure. I am so happy to connect with you. And I hope that one day our daughters can collab. That would be cool. That's what I'm saying. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Jay, I think it's pretty fantastic you having a baby at 53. I think I'm a little jealous. I'm only 65. I'd like to join you and have a little one myself. <laughs> and I just loved how he was addressed by one of the workers. He kind of nonchalantly waved. His father jumped on him right away and said, hey, you know, on the site, you're no better than anyone else, basically. Isn't that what my father did with me? That here I worked with my father for a business together for 45 plus years. He says, if you want to earn the respect of people, okay, just because you're the boss's son, they might even give you even a harder way to go unless you show that you respect every position in the company. And not only that, but you're going to learn every job in the company too. So I learned to buff, to anodize, spin, hand spin, roller spin, be able to do the inspections, the work in packing, to be able to work in the press and trim, so forth and so on. I learned every single job in the factory. By doing that, he explained on his podcast and writing a book, or he started off by just really keeping a journal and and turning it into a book. And now he's trying to be a little bit more creative by actually coming up with a determination of what he's searching for and what he wants to do rather than just logging what he did do. When you're going through, whether it's schooling or whether it's hands-on experience, you need all of it. You need the whole gambit. And by learning how to learn and keeping an open mind that we can always do better and learn more and be able to learn from others, that's how you get on a roll. That's how you really achieve. And by working and helping others, not only is that beneficial to the person that you're helping, but it's even beneficial to yourself because the more perspectives and angles that you are either shown or be shown adds to your perspective of really understanding the full picture. It's putting yourself in someone else's shoes and putting them in your shoes. You get a much better perspective of life. I would agree with that. Never giving up and always trying to get better and to achieve and putting in the hard work. His father gave him a couple of other very strong principles. Is that what? Whatever you want to get out of life, you got to work for it. You got to work hard for it. And you got to work your way up, not from the top to the bottom, but from the bottom to the top. That's called building a foundation. And if you don't have a strong foundation and you don't understand what it takes, the formula of success is exactly that. It's learning every step all along the way. Those were embedded in him at an early age. I'm sorry he lost his father at such an early age. I definitely see the impact. And I think that uh, they would have been great, great adventures together. I do appreciate that, as you know, even with my dad at the end, near the end of life, he says, Wayne, you'll figure out a way to keep the business going. Even when it looked like I had closed it down, that uh, just all the variables were going against us. And as you know, (laughs) I'm working with some former employees and we have revived the business. 
And as you know, I've pivoted and done and hustled and done two or three different versions of the business where all of a sudden we were buying and selling equipment. We were doing a storage business. I really loved how he explained to you the step-by-step improvements that he made even in podcasting and how the opportunity to bet for anyone who has some talent and really have an opportunity for a platform to express themselves if they know what they're doing. Because it's so difficult in the past that if you didn't have a platform, you could be as talented as can be. But if you don't have a platform, show off your talents and get lost in the fold or it's who you know or who you pay off or who does a favor for you because you can go unnoticed. And again, if you're not making money for somebody else, they're not going to give you the time of day. Unfortunately, that variable, I think, is a tough, tough one to overcome in any period of time. There are a lot of people, it's just all about the money. But the opportunity in this country, getting an education and working hard, the American dream can be realized. And with the new communication age, you can express yourself to so many more people and reach so many more people. And last but not least, just like our show, we're trying to learn and share and grow together and share some wisdom realistically. Isn't his show trying to do the same thing? Is that if you're not having a lesson or or showing something that's quite unique or what did you call it? A a niche or or a niche, okay? If you don't have one thing that you can really count on that you do better than anyone else or that you have expertise in, very difficult to become unfocused. And where you do too many things, where you don't still do what you're compassionate about and what you're really best at, that's where you have to keep your main focus. And hopefully you're able to develop on a lot of things that you might want to try and do and incorporate it where it makes you a wiser and a stronger person. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 